Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, Episode 73 for January 3rd, 2007, the next generation of copy protection. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. Welcome to 2007. And you know, the great news is in 2007, there are no more security issues. There are no more security problems. We don't have to worry about hacking. We don't have to worry about viruses or spyware. So, Steve, we can stop doing this show. So this is our last episode? Our last episode, because they fixed it all, right? Uh, no more problems. No, in yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, how far from the truth that is. Why, it's a brand new uh, era of spyware, viruses, hacks, exploitation, encryption. And, of course, as always, as we've been doing since 2005... Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. we will be covering the ins and outs. Steve Gibson from GRC.com. Hello, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be back. Our first episode of the new year. And uh, just so everyone knows, we're we're kidding about, you know, there being no more security <laughs> now. Do you think anybody believed it? <laughs> I don't think so. I can see it no. on Dig, though. You, you know, I should really learn. You've got to be very careful what you say these days because... It's taken out of context. It gets on dig, and it gets a life of its own. Oh, it's own. it's true. You mentioned once. I think you were, you know, I don't know if you were just tired or yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's right for Twit. You sort of you just I didn't sort of even say well, I was going to kill it. I just said I'm having trouble. And it was a it was Whoa. a firestorm. I still hear from people. My father in law said, "Hey, my friend told me that you're canceling Twit." <laughs> Yesterday he said this. I said, "I don't think so." <laughs> Uh, in fact, I'm very pleased to say uh, Twit was named uh, one of the top ten podcasts of the year from uh, Time Magazine. So, Time Magazine, Time Magazine, pretty high Great. honor. We're up there with all the biggies, Ma- mainstream media. Yeah, and most of it is mainstream media. Wall Street Journal, and uh, you know, all things, or I guess uh, This American Life, which is my favorite radio show. Anyway, enough of that. Let's uh, and I and I consider, by the way, that that's that's the Twit Network more than just any one podcast because really Twit is made up of. So many pieces. We're going to talk today uh, about uh, something that is really new in 2007, uh, a, a new form of digital rights management. Well, yeah. What happened was essentially over the holidays, there became a great deal of attention focused on a paper written by a guy named Peter Gutman, who is a well-known security researcher. In fact, it's, it's funny when he and I were corresponding. His his email was going into a different folder, and I I thought, okay, I know I just got email. Where did it go? Well, I had a folder from a dialogue I had had with Peter and one of his coworkers back in 2002 regarding a free cryptographic library that they were making available, an open source cryptographic library. And back then, I was talking to him about making use of some of the functions and wanting to get his permission to do so. So I've had a dialogue going back with Peter four years, five years. And what happened was he wrote a, a, a really interesting paper, which I was reading on the plane heading to Northern California for Christmas. Actually, it was on December 24th. By the time we got to the second page of this thing, I mean, it had me in its grip. It was, it was fantastic. It was, it, it's titled the, the, basically, I don't remember the exact title, but it talks about the, the, effective costs of the new digital rights management technology which Microsoft has put into Vista. And this is something that, you know, we've never talked about before. Peter has a a very progressive, open source, free speech sort of take on this. But, I mean, it was really interesting. So it got me focused on this issue of, wait a minute, I mean, you know, you and I deal with media a lot, Leo. Um, DRM is an issue. We've glanced on issues of digital rights management of the the uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, DMCA, and so forth, but have never really focused on it. Um, I decided, though, that you know Vista is 
I, I wanted to I wanted to do an episode responding and talking not only about Peter's paper but with Peter. So he's going to join us in next week's episode about Vista and DRM to talk about the things he said, and also I think it'd be fascinating to hear about the reactions to his paper in the email that oh he and I have uh, have had uh, in our correspondence. I mean, he's just been in a firestorm. Yeah. Um, many bloggers have jumped on 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 the things he said, saying that he's wrong. Um, Bob Cringely of remember old the the in, uh, the old Infoworld guy Cringely uh, basically didn't agree with some of the things he said. So anyway, it sent me into a research mode for most of the last week and to well to understand what this AACS content protection system is um i wanted to understand the the technology of it and basically to to do a fact check of what peter wrote and also to be able to bring sort of a comprehensive view of what this means to our listeners so Although, so, so we'll set that up this week and then and next week we'll talk with peter having a, a, a kind of a foundation for understanding what he's talking about. Well, yes, and in fact, you know, the reason I want to talk about this, first of all, I think it will be interesting to all of our listeners, and although, you know, technically we're about security, well, no, no base of listeners more than ours has the foundation to understand this stuff because this is all about crypto and the technologies that we've been talking about, as you said, since 2005. Well, I think DRM falls within our purview, absolutely. Hey, before we get started on, on, on understanding AACS, what it is and what it's going to mean going forward, let me just uh, mention, uh, as always, that uh, this podcast starts a brand new year with Astaro. Um, they've sponsored us uh, most of last year, and they've decided to come back for all of 2007. We're really thrilled. It's a good match for us. Astaro makes the Astaro Security Gateway. Uh, now, if you're a small or a medium business and you're looking for superior protection from spam, from viruses, uh, from hackers, you get a complete VPN, you get intrusion protection, you get content filtering, and an industrial strength firewall, all in a box, you know, a little affordable, high-performance appliance. It's really neat. You can contact Astaro to get a free trial, A-S-T-A-R-O.com, or call 877 A-S-T-A-R-O, 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O. You can schedule a free trial of an Astaro Security Gateway Appliance in uh, your business. And home users, non-commercial users can download the software from uh, ASG for home use for free, which is pretty neat. It's open source and very, very powerful. Astaro Corporation, A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. We thank them uh, for their support. So, A-A-C-N, what does that stand for? Well, it stands for um, Advanced Access. Uh, I mean, this has been an acronym soup week for me also. Advanced Access Content System okay. is what it stands for. Is it um, re- replacement for CSS? Which was, Well, it's, it's sort of a DVD replacement. DVD encryption. Right, a sort of replacement for CSS, although really it's an evolution forward. That's one of the things that I learned during this research is that this is not a completely brand new system. It is there, there's been a, a constant evolution in in content protection ever since well since the beginning of digital tape stuff happened. You may remember that the audio industry, the recording industry, just had a spasm when it was back in 1987. DAT tape was introduced because here was going to be a consumer digital audio tape recording format that would potentially allow consumers to make perfect copies of recordings. And so, you know, when when we moved into this digital era from the older analog era, um, things that were already sort of set up to be a problem for the content producers got a lot worse because now there was not this notion of a recording of a recording of a recording. You know, I mean, you, you may remember in elementary school when we had cassette tape recorders, you know, people were, you know, kids would would get two ta- uh, cassette tape recorders, hook their connections together, set one to play and the other to record. Right. Remember those old yeah. days, Leo? Yeah. You know, and, you, and you'd make a copy of, and you know, some... And it would get some... hissier and hissier with each copy. Exactly. And so, you know, so, yes, that was a violation of copyrights. And so, you know, even back way I think way there was a loophole, before... though, wasn't there? I think there was the Home Recording Act, which allowed you to well, do that. 
actually that didn't come until after that tape it was it was like four years later oh. it was in 1992 that it, it, it actually it was in response to the the problem of dat tape that the home recording act that w- was created and and basically what it did was it required it it by law ordered all digital audio recorders to be equipped with serial copy management systems something called scms and and the reason that that happened was well the well first of all what scms was was it allowed you to make a first gener a one first generation copy but the copy could not be copied and and the reason that happened was that even even later um back in in 72 the the recording industry was worried about consumer tape recorders as we were talking about and 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 wanted to tighten up the regulations but due to the sort of the historical nature of copyrights the the congress was concerned about just banning all copying so they put in what was called a fair use exemption which allowed individual citizens and for academic uh, like like for personal use and for academic use to make copies so you know the idea being that those would not be causing economic harm on the content producers so so essentially what's been going on is over time this notion of of who owns the material really has evolved the the original copyright provision back in 1788 of the of the constitution it allowed for for 28 year protection on books maps and charts and and basically it stood that way for about a century after which time that that 28 years was was doubled to 56 years and the notion of printing which is what they were talking about then turned into copying because we were beginning to have phonographs and player piano remember sheet roll music stuff so so but but what's happened is so that well the, the idea was that that the overall goal was that that the public interest was going to be served that is the, the the formal law says that what's good for the public is what we want so the idea was that having allowing anyone to copy anything was not good for the public because it would that that would disincentivize content producers so the idea was let's give content producers some length of time in order to have exclusive rights after which the content will revert to the public domain and of course that's very much like the patent system that we still have today where you file a patent that publicly discloses your in, your invention so for example it's no longer a trade secret it will be made public but in doing so you're guaranteed 17 years of exclu- exclusivity to that invention in return for making it public the idea being that that allows other people to build off of your invention during that time, although they have to pay licensing rights and royalties to you uh, if they use it. Well, so originally copyright was a very similar sort of thing, but what's happened over time, and really unfortunately, it looks like it's a direct consequence of the the increasing lobbying strength of the of the content producing industry. They've been they've been lobbying for and succeeding in getting increasingly strong legislation from Congress to create laws which are you know making this um, basically tightening down on on individual users rights now the flip side of that is look how the world has changed in for example the last 30 years where you know back in elementary school kids were were plugging two tape recorders together now we have you know hard drives gigabytes of storage we have the internet we have fantastic communications technologies all of these things of course work to make the the proliferation of copyrighted material far easier so you know those people who are trying to say wait you know we need greater protections today because the world is nothing like it was envisioned back when these original laws were created i mean you know you you could argue that you know they've got a good point so so essentially this is you know over the years the the legislation has tightened up until of course we finally got to these uh the uh world intellectual property organization the wpi the wipo treaties oh boy and yes and of course when we signed those treaties we had to have 
a law to uh, ba- basically a law on our books to 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 make legal what the treaties were saying, and that's where we got this DMCA, the Digital Millennium Millennium Copyright Act, which basically criminalizes and makes much greater the fines involved with with basically touching in any way content which has ever been encrypted. And so, essentially, you know, technically there's still this fair use provision in the law, but it's gone for encrypted content. I mean, you know, look look at CDs. Now, CDs are non-encrypted and nobody thinks twice about ripping a CD and sticking it in your MP3 player and for your own personal use. And and fair use law allows that to be done. You you know, you're certainly not supposed to copy the CDs and hand out perfect digital copies to your friends, but unfortunately for for the content producers, it's entirely possible to do that because the CD technology was never produced with any encryption. That is, there's nothing there to prevent that from happening. So the way the laws have come down is, okay, the DMCA criminalizes the circumvention, or even the exploration, actually, of circumvention into any technology used to thwart copying so so dvds even you know original first generation dvds that are being protected by the very broken css the the the, um content uh, scrambling system dvds cannot legally be ripped and uh, ripped and decrypted at all because doing so violates the dmca since you are having to defeat content protection which is on the DVD which is not the case over on the CD side so so essentially what's what's happened is over time you know the world has changed computers are becoming powerful and from the standpoint of of content producers i mean the creation of the PC is the worst thing that ever happened that these are like little piracy you know little piracy studios that have that have dropped in price that you can buy for five hundred dollars that all have you know dvd rom burners in them now so you can stick dvds in with the proper software you're able to rip them decrypt them and burn copies You, you you know i mean it is you know this has been a nightmare for for content producers and and while they have succeeded in in lobbying strongly and passing laws to to increase the the the, the length of their ownership of properties and to to basically make increasingly onerous the the threat of breaking these rules they recognize that laws are one thing but preventing the copying is what they have to do if if it's not going to happen. I mean, look at file sharing. I mean, it's just it's it's funny. I was talking to Mark Thompson, Analog X, about this, and you know, I'm not that much into the industry. He's got a friend who is a song author who had, and, and in response to my question of you know, Mark has file sharing, peer to peer file sharing, and music trading really hurt the industry? And he he said without a question. He said he's got a friend who's been watching his royalties dropping year by year, and I mean that because people no longer need to purchase CDs from the store, they can get pretty much anything they want for free in the CD area. So, so what's happened is, sort of quietly and behind the scenes, there has been a continuous march of technology moving forward. The you know you mentioned CSS. CSS is is the content scrambling system which was put onto DVDs from the beginning. It had a number of problems. One is that due to the export restrictions which we had at the time, you, you may remember that export restrictions classified cryptography as munitions, and so that it was illegal to export anything protected by a key longer than 40 bits. Well, that directly impacted the design. Some would say, thankfully, uh, those who like the freedom of doing with DVD media what they want to, it impacted the design 
of DVD cryptography, limiting it to 40 bits. Also, back then, the available processing power in players was far lower, so you could argue that players wouldn't have been able to really manage much heavier crypto anyway. So CSS uses a 40-bit key, and analysis analysis <laughs> analysis analyses of it have shown that only 25 percent I'm sorry 25 bits of the 40 turned out to be mathematically significant oh, this is terrible yes well it's very reminiscent remember of the 40 bit WEP in, yeah. WEP yeah. encryption yeah. That, that you know it's like oh 40 bits is a That's lot enough <laughs> and it turned out that weaknesses in the encryption caused it to have real problems as we've you know uh, covered in the past talking about Wi-Fi stuff so bottom line is that CSS was was protection against casual copying but it allowed it allowed the technology to be cracked and to the point now where people who want to copy commercial DVDs are pretty much able to do so so Naturally, the uh, the MPAA, the Motion Picture uh, Association, was not happy about the fact that that this protection on DVDs was was cracked so badly. On the other hand, the DMCA absolutely guarantees that since it was encrypted, their intent to protect it is is in place. Now, the problem is it really does block fair use because individuals by by law should be able were it not for this DMCA uh, ban on copying anything that is encrypted individuals should be able to copy for their own use and one of the things that I found really interesting you may remember this is it was a report that came out maybe about a year ago and that is that that pressed CDs and DVDs are are not nearly as archival as was believed it turns out that there's an oxidization problem that occurs over time. And so our large collections of CDs and DVDs are degrading and have a lifetime that some have measured uh, of maybe 10, maybe 15 years, but, you know, not 100. Whereas it turns out that recordable technology, because it doesn't use the same materials at all, CDR and DVDR material has much longer archival shelf storage life. So, you know, I have a huge collection of DVDs, commercial purchase DVDs and CDs. You know, I mean, and I buy them because I love movies and I would like to be able to watch these in 30 years. Um, so the, basically the fact that I'm unable to make personal use copies is a problem that can cause them to basically to... Um, for, for me to lose the value that I had in b buying something that I thought was going to last forever, turns out uh, we don't have that. We don't have that freedom anymore to do so legally. So, over time, there's been a series of of evolutions in CSS. There, uh, there informally, there's something called CSS2 that never really existed, but there was something called CPPM, which is the Content Protection for pre-recorded media that is what protects DVD audio discs which and I have a few of those although they never really got off the ground you know the idea being that you could take the the incredible never compressed you know 7.1 surround sound basically make a, a, a very high resolution stunning sounding multi-channel recording which you cannot deliver on a CD because it doesn't have the data rate and or, or the capacity, but you could deliver it on a DVD. Um, then there was CPRM, which got a lot more press. Uh, it covers, well, it stands for Content Protection for Recordable Media, and it got a lot of attention because the spec when it came out included hard drives, regular ATA hard drives, and people in the industry went nuts because it looked like if this were implemented in hard drives, then we could start having hard drive content locked and this, and and the CPM the CPPM and the CPRM give you protection on a sector by sector basis so the idea would be that we could have arbitrary blocks of sectors 
locked and encrypted in a you know inside the drive in a way that would prevent us literally from backing them up and so there was such a fury that resulted from that that the that, that the body that licenses CPRM promised they vowed never to license any hard drives to incorporate this technology and it's worth mentioning now that i mean at, at this point that all of this technology is available only under license it's all protected by intellectual property rights both patents and trade secrets sometimes you can find more information by looking at patents that have been issued to these various companies some but a lot of the stuff is kept also trade secret where only if you're a licensor do you get the the specific crypto algorithms that these things are using not to mention have keys that are issued to your devices that, that allow them to, to to participate in these systems so so sort of quietly in the background this technology has been evolving there's also something called DTCP which is digital transmission content protection which protects firewire you know the the 1394 interface and USB connections when content is when protected content is passing over those serial buses this DTCP comes into effect and it also has this notion of serial copy protection there's two bits in there that can say you can copy this freely you can never copy this you can copy it once or you can copy it no more so those are the four combinations that two bits gives you that that allows you to to govern or allows the content producers to to completely control what rights you have to use this technology and then finally there's there's something called HDCP which is uh, actually it's an intellectual property of Intel's it's high bandwidth um, digital content protection and that's what current generation TV consumer TVs and and home theater projectors are using among other applications but but primarily that the idea being that that our content producers are have really been extending their reach so that they're protecting the entire channel all the way from the disk which is heavily encrypted through the player and then the, even the players outputs from the player to the screen there are there are policies which are bound into the content which allow the content providers to declare whether for example they will allow their content to be played over component connections for for years the 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 predecessor to HDCP connections this digital link to to consumer display devices was um, was uh, component video you know so so-called RGB video that many existing home theater systems use the problem is it is not digital it's not a digital technology it is not digitally protectable and so although it isn't being done yet and no one knows if or when it will be done anything that is able to deliver this content is able to literally shut down your your component video outputs and in some cases degrade deliberately degrade the resolution coming through if that's what the content owner requests so they can control whether you get it at all whether you literally get a fuzzy picture or whether you get the, the full resolution that the spec is able to provide it's just it's just phenomenal how much of this has sort of been been creeping along without us really paying uh, much attention to it seems like they've always wanted the ability to kind of reach into your computer and change how it behaves uh, or well, even yes. attract stuff if they could well uh, so no that leads us to AACS AACS <laughs> even better <laughs> oh boy wait till you hear about this and, so uh, AACS uh, will be used on what uh, AACS is sort of the end result so far of this constant march towards towards the content providers obtaining more technological grip on what users can actually do with the DMCA they got legal grip I mean the DMCA has serious teeth in it um, I mean many you know the the EFF and, and and many 
uh, free speech activist organizations are very unhappy with it because they really feel that it goes too far. I mean, it one of the things that has always strengthened our technologies is having them open and and able to be examined and discussed within academia. So the DMCA prevents that. I mean, you you see people saying, I can't talk about this because it would be a violation of the DMCA. So, I mean, it really does go against free speech rights in, in many ways, like extending itself way beyond just the protection of content. It's protecting anyone talking about the the, the protection of content. So it's a problem. But so AACS is the new system which which is part of every next generation DVD. That is the so-called high definition um, DVD formats, both HD DVD and the Blu-ray DVD. Oh, so they both Bo- use the same method. They don't uh, have <laughs> their own methods. Yes, they both use the same all of this comes from a very powerful licensing body. Blu-ray is a, has one step more of encryption, which is one of the, the things that Sony is trying to sell the, the content industry in believing because Blu-ray not, well, first of all, it, it is a, due to the fact that it's a, it's a, a format which is not compatible with existing DVD production, whereas HD DVD, you're able to retool your DVD production line in order to produce HD DVDs. Blu-ray requires brand new equipment from scratch. I mean, you just got to create a completely new production facility. In return for that, you do get more storage. I believe it's, I'm not quite sure on the last, the least significant digit, but it's like 50 or 56 gigs of storage on a Blu-ray DVD where HD is 40. On the other hand, they're also using the latest technology, the H.264, the so-called AVC MPEG-4 codec, which is the generation beyond MPEG-2, which is the compression used for, for, for DVD content. That allows them to basically get higher levels of compression. Also, H.264 deals with much higher resolution images in, in a good way than MPEG-2 was ever designed to. Uh, basically, MPEG-2, like 720 by 480 which is the, the native resolution stored on DVDs, whereas H.264 can handle the, the, the highest current resolution and, and potentially beyond, which is 1920 by 1080 uh, at, at, the, at the far extreme end of, of HD. So, so anyway, as, as I was saying, what Blu-ray offers beyond HD is it can actually contain a replacement copy protection scheme if the AACS scheme were ever to be badly broken. And that's, and uh, by the way, what most, uh, most security and cyber experts told them to do. They said, you can, there's no such thing as the uncrackable system. You've got to have backups. Well, yes. Now, Leo, you and I have said, and, and I mean, this is one of my mantras on security now, is it is not possible to do this. Um, that, that is, it is not possible to prevent a, a to, it's not possible to make a system like this work perfectly. That it, and, and, and again, as, as we define security, security, you know, has to be perfect because the nature of of breaching security is, for example, the, the the weakest link problem. All you need is one weak link somewhere, right. and and you are able to hack the system. Speaking of which, over the holidays, there was a great deal of news caused by somebody who posted. I don't remember if it was the Doom the Doom Nine forums where he first posted. Yeah, I don't it's on think Doom, Doom Nine. Yeah, I know it's there. I don't know if that's where he first posted. Someone going by the handle of Musilix64, announced a an HD DVD backup tool for which he provided the full source code. And, and on YouTube is a video demonstrating that he has cracked HD DVD content protection. That is, this, this latest generation AACS content control system. What, what he apparently did 
was he was using uh, a version of Windows, and we don't know which player, but it may have been version 6.5 of Power DVD player, which is able to play protected HD DVD content. Um, he went into the software at some phase of its operation and grabbed the keys. He, he grabbed the decryption keys and then independently decrypted the contents of the drive, which are just files stored in the, in the standard DVD file format, the uh, UDF format. He, he took the files and did his own decryption. Now, it's interesting that he posts this in Java because in some of the AACS specs is their samples of this technology is in Java. So my guess is that he, he read the specs, took the sample code, which you know these guys, the AACS guys made available, basically took the decryption keys out of the, the Power DVD player and applied them himself to decrypt the files. And, and this, this YouTube video apparently shows him playing one of these files that he independently decrypted. He's playing it outside of the, of the normal um, protection wrapper. Well, what he did was not to break AACS at all. What he did was he captured a deep intermediate result. This, this AACS technology is, is phenomenal. Um, you, I mean, it's, it, it involves multiple parties. There's, there's the, the uh, sort of a licensing entity which, which, which issues device keys to, to devices which are licensed to play this content. They also issue media keys to a licensed media replicator and something called an MKB, which is this media key block. The, the technology is, is literally, it's light years beyond CSS. And, and the, the media key block uses a very clever system, which has been uh, created recently, uh, which, is, which is forms what's called broadcast encryption, um, using something called a subset difference revocation or SDR. If anyone listening wants to really hurt themselves, put 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 subset difference revocation into Google. Oh, and then try to understand this stuff. I mean, it is just it's this amazing tree of cryptographic keys, and the idea is that it's used for any time you want to broadcast. You, you want to control the broadcast of encrypted content, and you want the ability to revoke certain keys of, of, of receivers of the broadcast, but you want to minimize the overhead of, of basically sending all of the revoked keys. The idea being that, that the vast majority of receivers of the broadcast will be licensed and non-revoked. So most of the keys are going to be valid, but some of them need to be revoked. So, But maybe even a bunch. We're talking about huge, huge numbers. If a key is so, revoked, the player stops working. Yes, and if the key is revoked... So it's a well, way of kind of... Uh, if, if somebody figures out a way to crack it, you just revoke the key. Actually, it's more than that. If It's not that the player stops working. What this thing does is this bizarre... Broadcast encryption is a way of sending out all of the keys and and preventing the revoked receivers from being able to use this technology to obtain their own key. So, but but anyway, bottom line is it's it's <laughs> I can't even yeah, follow this meta discussion. I, 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 I know, <laughs> I know. It is just, I mean, you're just, I, I I've read the thing about three times. I'm kind of beginning to but get you, a get me, a handle on let it. Let me understand. The idea of key revocation is that you can no longer play back this content, right? That that's exactly right. So so here so here's the here's the AACS technology and the content protection industry that is i mean they they are determined not to make the the same mistake they made with DVDs i mean they're 
they're that believe me they've just gone overboard with this so so discs are discs are licensed content is licensed there are drive certificates and host certificates there's this media key block which contains this insane subset difference revocation broadcast encryption difference tree technology that allows them it's not only that they're they're, they're revoking the key but because you could imagine that some device would would that, that for example had been compromised would would you know use somebody else's keys uh, anyway the, the way this works cryptographically <laughs> is you are unable to decrypt the content if this if this media key block is set up in a way that you're unable to so so get this leo next generation players are so burdened down with this crypto i mean this stuff first of all no more of this 40 bit cipher nonsense this is aes 128 that's the rindall encryption that happened remember a few years back that we've talked about a aes is our state of the art crypto it's 128 bit aes throughout the entire technology they use sort of aes building blocks to do hashes and and for for signing and other stuff they also use full-on public key crypto they use elliptic curve cryptography to uh, as as the means for using a diffie hellman public key key exchange between the devices but this this stuff is so loaded down now that when you insert a high definition dvd into first generation players it takes the player more than a full minute to register the arrival of the disc because the player is sitting here trying to untangle all of this stuff it's i mean it's literally you know we don't have super strong processors in these little consumer players you know you want to buy it at fries or circuit city or wherever for a reasonable price they're trying to get the cost down certainly we've got much stronger computation today than we did 30 years ago but but still 10 minutes i'm sorry 10 minutes 10 a full minute just for the player to go through all this work now the player also has non-volatile memory and this media key block is is serialized so so imagine that somewhere somebody hacked a player that you owned and the content industry was tracking this and realized that this player had been compromised and they wanted to prevent any additional media from leaking out through the player they're able to revoke essentially remotely revoke the certificate and 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 crypto capability from that from this um from from that player or all players of that family and it's not clear what level of granularity there will be whether for example a a a a certain model of player will have all the same keys or whether they'll they'll be produced in batches it's just it, it's up to the um the the licensor to decide you know how granular they want to make their license apparently and again one of the problems we have is it even the contracts and the terms of these things are bound up in proprietary license agreements there there's talk of other remedies which sounds sort of onerous against people who allow their their players or their keys to become exposed so it's not only that they would be subject to revocation of 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 those assets but also you know other measures unquote and nobody knows what those are so <laughs> come knocking on your door that's so sure <laughs> so when you insert a a new hd dvd in into an hdvd player it goes through all this crypto between literally between the drive in the player and the player even the bus between the drive and the the player's motherboard is dynamically encrypted and there there is public key exchange happening between the device and the player wow. in inside to prevent somebody from from sniffing the interconnection between the HD DVD you know the physical optical reader and the motherboard this thing 
is, I mean, just locked down. Well, they didn't want so, a repeat of the DCSS uh, well, affair. They, they really yes, didn't want this to be cracked. Like I said, it's like it's it's sort of it's sort of like well now we're paying for what what happened after CSS was cracked is that now we've just gone technology heavy. Well, Once, but we we may not pay if people decide not that they, that's too onerous and don't want to don't want to do it. Well, um, get this when when all of this this public key crypto. And, and an interlock has been established between the optical player and inside of your own DVD player. Then the media key block, which is the, this container of this amazing broadcast encryption subset difference revocation tree technology, it's serialized. The player checks the serial number of the one it has and after verifying the signature on this to prevent spoofing, if the, the disk you've inserted contains a newer version of the official media key block, your player will update its copy on the fly to the latest one. That's how revocation is pushed out through the system. So if you were unlucky enough to have the same player that somebody else had that had been cracked and was known to be cracked, playing a later, a, a, a new, a, a newer release of an HD DVD could render the player inert. Oh, it would shut down yeah. and no, and no longer be willing to play. Now, in fairness, it's not clear whether this would ever be used against a mass-produced yeah, product. Because you'd be putting be- a lot. I mean, I'd be pretty annoyed if this thousand dollar or five hundred dollar player I bought stopped working. Well, I think it's more than annoyance. I think you'd end up with class action yeah, lawsuits, yeah, no you know, big, big, because suddenly, you know, a $500 expensive piece of consumer electronics had been deliberately neutered. I'm not surprised but, to hear it, though, because this is where all this stuff has been headed. As I said at the very beginning, these companies want to reach out and get stuff off your drive or even hurt you for pirating. They, yes, they really want to be able to reach into your computer. Now, unfortunately... One of the, as always with security, there's we're back to the weakest link issue, and that is this HDCP is is the high bandwidth digital content protection created by Intel. It's a you know this is the way it's the so-called the last mile. It's the link between your HD DVD player and the screen that you got for Christmas, you know, last week. It'll probably have HDMI connections. Anything with an HDMI connector is uh, certainly any consumer product will have HDCP protection, meaning that it's carrying it's carrying license keys and they are revocable. So just as just as AACS has revocation, it's funny too because the the euphemism for this in the industry is renewability. They they want. They want the, their their protection system, their content protection system, to have the characteristic of renewability, meaning that you know it's able to adapt to to breaches that, that are learned. Anyway, the point is that HDCP turns out not to be very strong. It is really? the the weak link. <laughs> so after going through all of this phenomenal technology uh, to, you know, to, to bring the content to you. It turns out that there are known weaknesses which have been published and talked about, but once again, the DMCA has put a real pall on any ability to to get specific about this, as we once would have been, because you're a criminal. You can't you even talk get, about if, it. If you do, yeah, exactly, if you, if you lead to this. So um, it, it turns out, though, that it looks like this is the weak link, and it's the digital link. So you could imagine that some determined pirates would come up with a crack for HDCP, use an uncracked player, and simply do a digital capture of the decompressed image back into digital form, recompress it, and remaster it. And I mean, and I've got to ask myself, who is it that the content providers are trying to prohibit? I mean, we know there will be pirated, mass-produced, uh, HD DVDs in in other places. I have a friend who lives in the Philippines who 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 is visiting for the holidays, and I was talking to him about this stuff, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" He says, "I walk down the street, 
in the Philippines, and there are just racks of of Hollywood movies selling for a couple dollars. That's the problem. I mean, that, those are the real pirates. Exactly. You know that kind of piracy, and and I there's just no way that this is possible. What what Peter says, and we'll talk to him about this next week. Peter describes it as as requiring the laws of physics to be revoked, and, and which is sort of a is sort of his poetic way of saying what I have always been saying is that you cannot do this. I mean, it's not possible to to protect because the devices that we have under our control do have the ability to decrypt the content and present it. Otherwise, they would be useless. And if there isn't perfect control all the way literally to our retinas, then there are ways to get around this. Right. So, I mean, it's... There's always going to be a hole. It's fascinating technology. This is... I thought people would find it interesting, as I have over the last week, as I've brought myself up to speed on, on some of these acronyms and details, you know, just how far... The content protection industry has gone. That the fact that it now you got to wait a minute when you stick your your disc into a player. I have heard that the the second generation players are considered very quick because it now only takes about fifteen seconds. Yeah, I haven't. They, I have to say on my um, Xbox three hundred and sixty, I don't notice particularly that it's slow. Although there were a lot of complaints early on about how slow these HD DVD and Blu Ray particularly players were. Well, and and now we understand what it's doing. I yeah. mean, it's literally it. I mean, this so they is just a, put faster processors in, basically. It, yeah, yes, it is a sophisticated crypto system which is sitting in little HD DVD players to perform, you know, public key crypto on the wire, <laughs> linking literally linking the optical drive to the motherboard Amazing. because they just don't want to have any exposed paths that would allow people to extract this but again leo i mean you know i'm i've never been a file sharing guy i i'm proud to say that that i mean i have a vast dvd and cd collection i mean i appreciate the freedom of being able to do what i wish with content that i own i don't have any pirated content here at all I mean, I, I I buy things easily, but I like being able to convert things to MP3 players or or to watch TV or movies on my little my little uh, Palm handheld. I mean, it, it's convenient for me, so it certainly falls within fair use. But basically, uh, as a consequence of the power of our digital technology, the content providers have decided the the, the greater the barrier they can they they can build to to limit that the better and and in fairness you have to have to agree that there are probably people who duplicate commercial dvds and give them to friends well and it's there i guess it's the movie company's right to do this uh what's going to what i guess the real question is will consumers uh put up with it and um will they maybe not buy hd dvd players or blu-ray players because of this will they maybe Stay away from Vista, and this is what we're going to talk about next time, because of all the onerous copy protection and stuff put into it. And I have a feeling as consumers learn about this, they might have something to say about it. You know, I don't think it's going to matter, frankly. I think what we're seeing, well, what, what we're, I mean, sadly, what we're seeing is we're seeing the end of an era, or as the content producers would say, an error in, <laughs> in the delivery of this media. Now, certainly DVDs will not go away. What we'll see is we will see HD DVDs and DVDs of the same movies as as we do now being released. And in fact, I, I just because I wanted to start really like seeing the HD DVD difference, I bought uh, the Mission Impossible three set uh-huh. and and of course Tomb Raider the first one because you know what's not to like about Laura Croft. <laughs> Um, uh, and I think you know, you know, Angela Jolie in in high def has got to be a good thing. I mean, because I, I want to begin to to experience what consumers are going to be seeing. Well, who, I have to say, have- I love it. I mean, I, I I've been watching. I watched King Kong and the Sea Biscuit, and uh, uh, they, they just look fantastic. They look. In yeah. fact, it seems on a good good big plasma screen, it seems better than the movie theater. I see more detail. Maybe it's just because yep. I'm closer. I mean, it just really looks great. Well, I think probably the the exactly it, it it's the certainly there can't actually be more detail than for example on a film but the fact that that the the that you're closer to the screen means you end up seeing 
you know, you, you have a larger frame occupying a larger percentage of your retina. And so yeah. in terms of the resolution of your eye, uh, with the screen being close enough, now there are enough pixels that that matches pretty well. You so really you, you actually end up seeing a lot more. You know, my feeling is, I mean, f- first of all, when I squeeze some s- something that, that my TiVo has captured from TV down to 480 by 320, you know, it, it's 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 certainly lower resolution than the the media content providers are worried about protecting. For example, there has been some some issues about, for example, this notion of constricting resolution, which is what, what we're going to be talking about next week, which is part of the solution which which some players are offering media providers saying, look, rather than disabling non-encryptable outputs, how about if you reduce the resolution? Well, that's going to annoy people who have who have analog outputs like component um, component video that are specifically, you know, that, that, that they that they got because they wanted to do HD content and then have the delivery system deliberately make it fuzzy, which is what apparently is going to be possible. Right. Um, but but so so I have to ask myself. I think you know most people want to buy DVDs and watch them. Certainly, there are people who who are unwilling to do that. Who you're would saying prefer- the people who would care are in the minority. Well, and the and and the movies will still always be available on DVD. I don't think we're going to see DVDs die anytime soon. And they are. I mean, they've been cracked a long time ago. Um, you know, by you know by as you said originally by DECSS, and now there are you know lots of 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 almost you know push and click sort of solutions for that. So, you know, but they were never easy enough that a lot of people did it. So I think you're right. I think it's a thin layer of people that care about this stuff, and most people well, are just going to be cows and just say, well, okay, we'll take it. And Leo, what are you going to do? With forty gigs of cra- of cracked data, right. I mean, so you, you decrypted it? it, and it's forty gigs. Yeah, that's a good. Point. I mean, even on conti- <laughs> even on, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. much nicer to have it there Just on keep a it little, little DVD. Yeah, exactly. Ha- ha- have have it sitting on a little disc in the album. I guess what I was of- was thinking about is more uh, with Windows and and operating systems. If operating systems seem become encumbered with this, you know, cruft. <laughs> people we knew what you we knew what word you yeah, were going to use people are going to uh viscerally respond they may not say oh shoot i can't copy a dvd but they may say boy i don't really like this operating system well, i'm not sure why this, yes this is a perfect segue into our next episode because I, I wanted to create this foundation for for next week when we talk to peter about his paper i'm going to put a link in, and i'm sure you will too a link to peter's paper he was evolving it rapidly over the first week or two um the last time the last copy i got was december 28th and i looked yesterday and it was still december 28th so i think it sort of settled down for him in our correspondence he was saying that he's just been you know buried under email and responses so it's really going to be fun to to first talk to our listeners about what he has written i encourage people to read this paper between now and next week so that you you know what we're talking about you know what captivated me on my plane flight to northern california by the second by the time i was halfway through the second page and and what motivated me to find out what is aacs because what essentially vista is is aacs brought to windows Mm -hmm. and this is what peter analyzes and what we're going to be talking about next week are the the user side consequences of Microsoft deciding to turn Windows into a content delivery platform with this much security. Because, baby, you wouldn't believe what they have done to Windows. <laughs> Look what they've done to my Windows, Ma. Well, we'll cover that next week on this very episode. Um, now that we have a little foundation uh, to understand what AACS is up to and... Uh and how it's going to impact it. And we will have Peter Gutman join us, which is going to be fun. Yep. We don't do a lot of interviews, but this will be fun. A reminder that you can find this uh, podcast in its 16 kilobit version, along with transcripts. This might be one that, <laughs> a worthwhile one for the transcript at uh, Steve's site, grc.com. That's also where you'll find uh, Spinrite, which is the program uh, that Steve 
created some years ago now in version 6, and it's the ultimate hard drive maintenance, and I might might add data recovery uh, utility. Really a great program. Yep. You have a you have a letter, I think. Oh, have, I always do. do uh, actually, spin, spin, right was, spin Right was busy over the holidays. This is a really quick one that, that I really liked, though, because it talks about sort of a, a different aspect of Spin Right. He says, hello there. This is a guy named Dennis. Uh, he says, a few weeks back, I started noticing a troublesome sector. One file was stubbornly refusing to be read. Sometimes it worked. Most often it didn't. I fired up SpinWrite, and once done, the file was fully accessible, even though SpinWrite found no errors and flew right through the troublesome area. Hmm. Yesterday, it started to act up again, and this time more severe than before. SpinWrite to the rescue, he writes. This time, SpinWrite immediately discerned that the sector had troubles, and a few seconds into Dynastatting, got a perfect read, and subsequently told the drive to swap out the faulty one. Needless to say, the file is now fully accessible. Many thanks, Steve. SpinRite continues to be the best $89 I ever spent. So that was a case of some, an intermittent problem, uh, and, and SpinRite didn't catch it the first time, but when it did, what is Dynastat? Dynastat? Um, well, yeah, w- what happened was this sector was on the verge of failing, and and so when SpinRite first looked at it, it was able to get a perfect read, and the drive wasn't concerned enough about it either. You may remember that a while ago I talked about how ECC, error correction code technology, is now always being used by drives, and that the ECC correction allows the drive to gauge the size of the error that it's correcting. And at a certain point, the error gets so long that the drive decides, oops, I better, I better remove this sector uh, from service. Okay. So, so Dynastat is the technology that I first incorporated in SpinWrite 3.1. It stands for Dynamic Statistics because SpinWrite is actually able to use non-standard drive commands to read the data from unreadable sectors which nothing else that I know of does, which is one of SpinWrite's tricks, is it performs multiple rereads and builds a database of different data that it gets from the sector and is able then to reverse engineer what the original data was. So it was able to basically figure out what the data was, um, correct it, tell the drive, okay, you've got a problem here, Let's put in a spare, and then SpinWrite rewrites the corrected data into the newly allocated sector. So that's some of the magic going on just, you know, under the hood. Very cool. Well it's done. Cool. SpinWrite to the rescue, as he says. Uh, GRC.com for that. And, of course, a lot of Steve's free stuff. How's, the, uh, how's Securable coming along? It's done, actually. Um, Securable, is the, the utility I talked about two weeks ago, is finished. I I noted I looked in my news group I made the 0.99 version available to the people in our news group uh they're they're reading through all of the text that it, that it encompasses to find typos and apparently they found some so probably in 2 weeks will I'm going to formally release it I need to get a web page up now in order so that it makes sense to people but it has turned out so cool Leo it turns out that my tablet PC uh, my little HP 11, my TC 1100 has a processor that can support hardware depth. I never knew it because it's turned off. It, ter- it turns out the BIOS is turning it off and there's no way to turn it on. <laughs> so Securable told me that my Pentium M can offer me hardware depth support even though the hardware won't. So the next utility, which will be called Deputy, uh, it will have technology to allow you to to enable things which your BIOS has disabled. Microsoft recently got a concession from, I don't know if a concession is the right term, maybe an agreement from all system manufacturers to stop disabling hardware depth by default. Many of them had been. We had a bunch of users who, using uh, Securable, found out that theirs also was turned off. In their case, they did have BIOS options they'd never paid attention to that allowed them to turn it on. The same thing is true of the virtualization technology. So Securable is now telling people if they've got 64-bit capability, hardware depth capability, and vir- virtualization. So anyway, it's uh, that's you know we got some good stuff on the way. Can't wait. Can't wait. That'll be, uh, what, next week or so that you'll get that out? 
I think, well, I'm working on it now. And so ne- next week, we're going to talk with, with Peter about the, the consequences of the marriage of AACS and Vista. And then the following week will be our formal uh, release and announcement. And I'll talk about Securable. Excellent. Yay. GRC.com. Shields Up is there, too. Lots of other free software. It's really a great resource. Uh, Steve Gibson, thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. And we'll see you next week with a discussion of Vista and what's wrong with it <laughs> from the point of view of Peter Gutman, uh, who's and, a, a well-known security expert. Right. And I want to, again, encourage people between now and then, you'll have a link to it. Homework. I'll have a Do link your homework. On, on the show notes. This is a riveting paper that Peter has written. It's, 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 e- it's written. It's not very long. In a fun, easy to understand fashion. Yeah. Make sure, though, that you read all the way to the end. When I was reading a newer, the, the, the December 28th release, it looked to me like he'd removed a lot of juicy bits, um, from the paper. It turns out that he moved them to numbered notes at the end. Ah. So don't stop until you've read the whole thing. There's a bunch of really cool stuff at the end, too. He also we'll responds to, uh, some, uh, uh, criticism and so forth so that you can see the back and forth going on there. Right, and we'll, of course, get a lot more from him next week. Really, really impressive. Thank you, Steve. Have a great uh, week, and we'll see you next time on Security Now. Security Now.